Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Well, the, the people show up. All right, yeah, they are still waking up across the country. It's a bit early in California. Yeah, right. And I, I didn't know what time it is in, uh, in Oz. No, Oz, eh? it's got to be something like, uh, well, I don't know, like, uh, I'm only going to guess here, but maybe like 8 p.m. I've not talked to anybody over there. I could always look it up, you know. Let's do a bit, bit of a Google search. Right. It's, it's like 1, 1 a.m. over there right now in uh, in Adelaide. It's uh, 12.33. Uh, I think it's about 1 a.m. in Canberra. Oh, right. 1 a.m. That, that's about the time they uh, come by over in the gulags over there. And they right. uh, let, they let them in and, uh, to do the anal, anal sniffing. That's just what anal sniffing. Right. Right. Uh, folks, you're listening to V and Cowboy. We are down under... Right here in Australia, uh, right outside of the uh, uh, Andrew, whatever his name is, office. (laughs) (laughs) He's so so important, I forgot to remember his name. (laughs) Oh, my God, man. I love it. I love it. Anyway, guys, you listen to V, and uh, CJ's not here. He's, He's in vacation somewhere. Parts unknown. He's floating in the in the Gulf of Mexico, enjoying life. Mm, this is smelling good, dude. I just got this new bottle of cologne, bro. All right. It's uh, Dolce Gabbana, the one. The It's like Arabian Nights, so it has like that smell of myrrh. Ooh, it's so good. Uh, yeah, we're here. You know, I guess uh, Bellas can't make it today, and so, uh, you know, instead of having the uh, the rather professional sounding uh, podcast, we're gonna jump on here and pretend to be Aussies. <laughs> right, right, mate, right. Yeah, that's Murder. exactly what we're going to do. So, <laughs> I have to tell you later. My, my sister saw somebody to, on our wedding invitation a couple of years ago, and it was uh, my my half brother who is gay. And she thought that he had gone trans because it was a female's picture. Oh. <laughs> right? No, 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 no. And no. so that, that particular sister is super liberal, like, oh. And she starts telling me, oh, Denny went trans, and I'm, I'm a, an ally of the gay community. And I'm like, right. so I decided not to. And I have my brother on the other line coincidentally, right? So I said, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, he went trans. And, dude, we started, I started making up the names. And he, and he says, well, what's what's his or her pronoun? And I, and I, I just took it right off TV. I said, Shklee. She goes, Shklee? I said, yeah, Shklee. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, and what about the other pronoun? I said, well, Mer. Mer. Shklee and Mer. <laughs> and she goes, she goes uh, that's not even cohesive. And then in like this liberal guilt, she goes, uh, uh, but it doesn't have to be cohesive. <laughs> oh, my God. Liberals are morons, dude. Uh, such bloody she, morons. I she's come God. a long way. She she's come a long way. She opened a business and she was like, "Oh man, uh, maybe these liberals don't know what's up." Just open a business. It's your Republican, <laughs> dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a lot to talk about, man. You're giving me some great stuff here. I really appreciate it, dude. 
Oh yeah, sure. So, uh, she kick. She give CJ some notes over here. CJ, you got to do this. This is great. Yeah, well, it's uh, you know, I thought I would kind of have a quick discussion about the elasticity of demand. Just, that's that's something that not a lot of people understand. It, that you know, sounds elast- very sexual. It is extreme elasticity of demand. It's about how flexible you are with your money, especially when it comes oh. to sexuality. Understood. No, just kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if you want to jump into that, like school time lesson, but it, it, there is. A Let's start with of- that. Let's start with that. Let's talk about the elasticity versus the inelasticity of demand and what's the difference between the two. Let's start off with that, and then we can talk about the supply chain uh, uh, catastrophe that's happening. We could talk about the massive, massive uh, things that are coming right now, especially when the next FOMC, all the things that are being discussed, it's going to be chaotic. And we could also discuss... Uh, a judge who finally found his balls and says, you know what, enough's enough. You can't keep people cooped up for 14 months and not press charges. It's retarded. You know, so let's let's go with that, man. Man, it sounds like a great, great lineup. It sounds like we have some uh, some wins. So in the spirit of Vela's, you know, that could be in the win column, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, you know, demand and uh, elasticity and any elasticity. Um, actually, I did kind of bring up, it's, it's the... Uh, Investopedia, if you pop that up, it actually kind of sums it up really easily. And what I want to talk about is the elasticity of, of demand for the Federal Reserve notes, because that's actually not really considered by most people, right? So mm-hmm. first of all, let's define it. And I'll just read it right off in Investopedia. Elasticity versus inelasticity of demand. It says inelasticity and elasticity of demand refer to the degree to which demand responds to a change in another economic factor, such as price, income level, or substitute availability. Elasticity measures how demand shifts when other economic factors change. When fluctuating demand is unrelated to an economic factor, it is called inelasticity. Okay, so price is the most common economic factor used when determining inelasticity or elasticity. Other factors include income level and substitute availability. So to make a really simple, simple example, the demand for um, insulin, the demand for that medication is extremely inelastic, right? It doesn't matter how expensive insulin goes, as long as the supply kind of stays where it is, people will still buy it because they're going to die. So you could double the price of insulin and people will still find a way to buy it. Demand's not going to change that much. The only thing that would change would be supply, but we're, we're, you know, in this particular case, we're keeping supply out of the equation, right? So that's an inelastic. In fact, that kind of stuff, and this is a term I'll bust out from my, you know, I actually have a degree in economics from the top 10 school in the nation. Uh, that when demand is so inelastic that it just basically doesn't change, it's actually lexicographic. That's the mm-hmm. term for that. Who is that sleazeball uh, guy? I'm ashamed to say is Italian, that kid that, that bought some medication and like, you know, raised the price by a thousand percent and ended up going to jail for other stuff. Who was that guy like last Oh, year? dude. Yeah. I forgot the name of that guy. That guy's an asshole, bro. Yeah. What a jerk. So oh, that guy, what a jerk. He, he found, I would believe it was a cancer medication, whatever it was, he found something that had an extremely high inelasticity for demand knew he could jack up the price by like 10 times or whatever it was and people would still buy it so as this relates to the dollar we are moving and, and the shift the shift that is happening is in the 
inelasticity for demand for the dollar, inelasticity of demand for the dollar, and it is becoming more elastic. Now, what does that mean? Well, because the dollar was the reserve currency, SWIFT system, fungibility, petrodollar, all these things that we've talked about on this channel for so long, because that's currently being dismantled, much because of the idiocy of the current system, much because of the way the system was set up and it just was going to happen someday, and a lot of it because of what's happening between Russia and China, uh, starting to move away from using the dollar, all of those things are contributing to the growth of Elan, uh, Eland of uh, demand elas uh, elasticity, right? So in this case, the dollar is becoming more elastic. That means that it's less valuable. It means that as things change in this direction, the importance of the dollar is going to decrease. And on top of that, it, it was so inelastic before, we could increase the supply of the dollar and the demand would remain the same. And that means the price of goods would not go up, right? Now that the dollar is less important, if we continue to increase the money supply like we have, then the price of goods are going to continue to flow upward, which is what we're seeing. And what they've been doing is, as V likes to talk about commonly, is they've been hiding that in the stock market. But if you actually can chart it out, I'll see if I can actually find a chart V after we can yeah. have this, this, you know, after I finish this thing in just a couple of sentences to chart the, uh, the elasticity demand of Federal Reserve notes, a.k.a. the dollar. And I guarantee you the inflection point probably started um, around 2008, maybe 2001. And an inflection point means that the demand curve started to decelerate or accelerate more slowly, right? It was still accelerating, but accelerating more slowly. I bet you that first inflection maybe was like in 1971, and then it actually completely flipped around 2008. So I'm going to look for that. But just so everybody understands that it, it, we could probably chart the demise of the dollar based on the dollar's el uh, demand elasticity. And I'm going to try to find that, and we can move on to the next uh, topic, V. Yeah. All right, the next topic, man. Let's let, let's get into. Uh, I want I want to win. You know, we have we have Eli Eli Elon Musk who just got you know took over Twitter. But let's go on some of these victories here. We got a January sixth. We have a judge who acquits a J six um, protester. This is huge. U.S. District Court Judge Trevor McFadden today delivered a major blow to the U.S to the Justice Department's aggressive prosecution of January 6th protesters. And again, folks, these people are not serious. These people call January 6th an insurrection. Okay? And that they're traumatized and they suffer PTSD from it. But at the same time, claiming to suffer PTSD from January 6th, they are so gung-ho about starting a nuclear war. These, these people are idiots. Unbelievable. Uh... Yeah, but why don't you break this down for us, man? Let me see. I, I was looking for that chart. Can you give me that last bit? I'm oh, sorry yeah. No, no but I got this, man. All right, I'm following, sorry. A bench, following a bench trial this week from Matthew Martin, a New Mexico man charged with the most common misdemeanor in the Capitol protest. McFadden found Martin not guilty on all counts. You cannot keep somebody locked up for 14 months and not charge them with anything, folks. This is ridiculous. The first capital acquittal of J6 case, nearly 800 Americans have been arrested and charged mostly on petty offenses for their involvement in a four-hour disturbance. This isn't burning down the city. 
This isn't Black Lives Matter or Antifa where cities were burned to the ground. People were dead. I mean, they, they were killed. People were killed during the BLM Antifa protest. Some people burned to death in buildings. Okay, you had cops that, that I mean, 37 people totally lost their lives and two and a half billion dollars worth of property damage. The damage done to the Capitol was around $40,000 total. And it wasn't anything major. Okay? Martin was arrested a year ago on four counts, entering and remaining in a restricted building, disorderly conduct in a restricted building, violent entry and parading. And the prosecutors confirmed that he was in the building for roughly 10 minutes. He pleaded not guilty and opted for a bench trial before McFadden, a Trump appointee. Taking the stand in his own defense, Martin said he was waved into the Capitol by Capitol Police, which we saw the one a little bit of the 14,000 minutes a video that was recorded that day from all the security cameras in the most heavily surveilled place in the United States. Uh, you can clear, see, clearly see from every single angle that the cops did, in fact, wave him in. According to BuzzFeed, Zoe Tillman, who is covering the in-person trials in Washington, an official for the U.S. Capitol Police, testified that the police were so vastly outnumbered and couldn't stop people. All they could do was observe and try to make sure no one got hurt. Calling Martin's conduct minimal and not serious, McFadden found it plausible that Martin was allowed into the building and did not realize the grounds were off-limits to the public. McFadden's ruling could impact pending cases and plea offers since the government witness confirmed for the first time under oath that the police stood by as people entered the Capitol. The next trial, January 6th, defendants facing the same charges is scheduled for April the 13th. Russell Dean Aldruff will appear before Judge Tanya Chutkin an Obama appointee. Oh, this good is luck great. with that, Judge. Well, <laughs> the, the beautiful thing is there's now legal precedent for this now. Legal precedent, and which is great, which is going to work out well for everybody else who's trying to fight this. It definitely helps them in the right direction. Well, yeah, I think the, the key is, and I saw the videos at the time, and I'm sorry, I was actually prepared to talk more about this, but I got distracted by that uh, chart I was looking for. Yeah, basically, the, I mean, I've seen videos. The cops waved them in. They, mm -hmm. Not only that, I believe the Capitol building is literally belongs to the people. I don't think there's any law saying you cannot go in there. So if there's a loss, if that's true, if it's our building, if we're allowed to go in legally, and if the cops are literally waving us in, then I don't really see where people can be prosecuted. So, yeah, this legal precedent uh, could be very valuable. Absolutely. So yeah, I know mean, Bill yeah. Lush guy could probably, uh, Bill Lush guy is our legal guy over in uh, Discord. Oh, Bill Lush is a genius from what I'm hearing. He's a real mischief maker. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, those would describe him. And, you know, there are attorneys, and the attorneys will actually have somebody sitting next to them on the at the table who are not attorneys, but they're actually telling the attorneys what to do. I've had conversations with Bill Lush guy in the background, and this guy really knows his stuff. Epic. Epic. Oh, absolutely. I've heard so much about Bill Lush. Um, so you got that chart pulled up, buddy? You know, I'm looking, and it's going to be complex. No so demand okay. elasticity, is there's a lot of factors. I'm going to actually – it may not even be available. Um, so I'm going to have to make that another show. Hey, man, let's talk about the FOMC. You want to you tackle this one? Yeah, let's see here. So let me, let me, long story short – oh, yeah. Let's see here. Good. There is a, it says here basically Quant Guru calculates the Fed can only hike to 1% before it must halt the cycle. 
Um, what I see a lot is um, you have a lot of people who run funds, right? Like hedge funds. Yeah. And they talk their book. Uh, who was that guy that, that owned uh, like Hilton, a lot of a lot of Hilton shares, a lot of hotel shares in his fund? And he said it was like going to go to zero. <laughs> and <it went> off. <laughs> like this is like two years ago, last year. I forget his name. Oh, dude, I forgot his name. Yeah, some muckety-muck, like big time Aaron, some or other. Uh, either way, like people who run funds will talk their book. Basically, right. if they want to get into something or if they're already in something, they want to get in more. They'll actually say the opposite of what's going to happen to create pressure. Let's just say they are in something that is done really well and they want to get out. They'll pump it up. Oh, yeah, uh, XYZ is going to do really well this this month. It's got all this and they'll say all these things. And then as Joe Blow Dumbass, who listens, is listening to him buying shares and whoever else is doing it, they're using that buying pressure to actually exit the market without taking the market. And the reason is these guys have massive, massive uh, holdings in whatever that stock is. So because their holdings of that stock or whatever the asset is are so large, if they try to exit all at once or even without that kind of buying pressure, um, they will literally take the market. And the same thing happens when they want to enter something. Um, and they don't have any selling pressure to fill their buy orders. There's a lot of slippage. So basically, I think what we're seeing here is the Fed is, you know, you've got like Bowler, Bostage. One of those guys uh, doesn't even have any voting power. I think that's Bostage. Bowler is a dissenter. It says here in the first sentence of this article. So earlier today, futures slumped to, a, to session lows before an algo-driven melt-up sent stocks to session highs. When the Fed's resident Uberhawk and FOMC dissenter James Bowler poured more overpriced gasoline on the tightening fire uh, when he said the current policy rate is too low by about 300 basis points. Now, V, for those of us who are not market savvy, 300 basis points is 3%, isn't it? Yep, yep. That's, so what he, he's suggesting is that with the rate currently at about 0.5%, more or less, the Fed funds rate, he, well, he's saying it needs to go up to 3%. Um, he is a dissenter, mind you, but, you know, he, this guy, as an uber hawk, is, in my opinion, talking the book. So, in essence, dollars right now are relatively expensive. I could try it for you, but suffice it to say, compared to other currencies, dollars are expensive. And compared to gold and silver and everything, dollars are actually becoming kind of cheap in historical sense, and they have been for a long time. Um, so, you know, that's a different story. However, when looking at other currencies, dollars are relatively expensive. And what does a savvy market person do when dollars are expensive? When anything's expensive, they sell. Um, yep. People with very large holdings have to exit slowly, like we talked about. So what they'll do is they'll talk their book. And th in this case, I suspect that Bullard and such and anybody talking about massive rate, hi rate hikes are talking their book because they actually plan to exit dollars and go back into some assets, perhaps the stock market, uh, whatever that might be. So they, they're going to make it look like dollars are going to become even more expensive. But the reality is that they're expensive right now. Now we do have Albert Edwards, who is a SockGen's resident perma-skeptic. And I'm going to just read this paragraph a little bit further down below. It says that we refer to SockGen's resident perma-skeptic, Albert Edwards, who today writes that the prospect of the Fed engaging in rapid balance sheet shrinkage, a.k.a quantitative tightening has spooked the markets but as we use above how does one combine the concurrent impact of quantitative tightening with the fed fund hikes to get a handle on where the fed funds might peak according to and, and this is the prior you know the, basically to sum this up he doesn't think this strategist does not think that the fed funds rate will climb past one percent 
So long story short, what he's saying is that everything will break. And he's got mm -hmm. a bunch of charts, but everything's going to break once it gets past 1%. Long story short, there won't be enough money to prop up markets. And I know, V, you've got more of the inside baseball on this. And you know, I've talked about this. We've talked about a market melt-up. So yep. what do you think of this 1%? Is this, like, realistic for you? Oh, man. If they're talking about 1%, man, uh, here's the thing that we got to look at, right? We got to look at what what is this going to do to unwind a lot of what is happening within the derivatives market, specifically the IR swaps or the interest rate swaps, right? People don't realize your IR, like, there, this Fed fund rate is an anchor point for not only, you know, interbank lending, not only for the setting of interest rates, but it's also something that plays very key into the interest rate swaps. IR swap market is basically the last time I checked, and I, I think it might have shrunk maybe by a little bit. The last time I checked, the IR market is a damn $300 trillion market, the last nice. I checked. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if it went down to like 280 or 200 but you're talking about something that is more than the entire GDP of planet Earth based on a fictitious, BS, non-existent thing called an interest rate swap. This is how crazy the Western financial system is. It is utter, pure fantasy, myth, and, and, and other, utter nonsense. So if they go to 1%, the negative feedback loop that's going to occur, and here's what's scary. This is what I'm going to tell a lot of you guys. A lot of these derivatives and the algorithms that are running the derivatives when it comes to the interest rate swaps were created by individual investment banks and trading firms in order to exploit the, the IDEN 9 or the interest rate swap market. The problem is it doesn't really account for a massive interest rate spike of 1%. It's designed to only handle, at the most, 75 basis points. 75 basis points is a far cry from 100 basis points or 300 basis points. So the negative feedback loops that could, that could occur in terms of things that could be possibly breaking could be catastrophic. And the craziest thing is the damn derivative market is so damn complex, we don't know what's going to break until it breaks. Yeah, see, now you're not, not sorry to interrupt you, but that's that's where I was going with this. Yeah. Um, you know, Catherine Austin Fitz is not perfect, but I do like her work. And one thing that she always says is like, okay, they don't really know what they're doing until they've done it and until things happen. And they're just kind of throwing stuff against the wall and see if it sticks. I mean, does that jive oh, yeah. with what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's so exactly think, what's happening. You think it's like uh, 75 basis points uh, as far as the rate, or do you think it'll be like three hikes of, say, 25 basis points? If they do three hikes, right, uh, of 25 basis points, which I think they're going to have to because the – okay, there's two things that are at play here. Here you go. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show the bag again here. There's two things at play. They know that they have to raise interest rates in order to get 
you know, release some of the pressure that's being built up in the bond market, that's being built up in the U.S. dollar market, the USDX, right? They know that they have to, you know, raise the rates to quell a little bit of inflation. But they also know is while they're doing that, they're also the dollar is eating the euro. Okay, the dollar is going to eat the euro. The eurozone is going to be literally the dumping ground of toxic U.S. dollars, toxic U.S. debt. I mean, we thought what was happening with with Euroclear and Clearstream and and all the other bolt holes around the world, the 96 bolt holes around the world in which the U.S. is dumping dark dollars through the ESF is one thing. Wait till you see what happens when a when the United States becomes the macrophage into which the European Union's economic and monetary system is going to be absorbed. The euro, the euro is going to get massacred in, during this whole entire thing. And what's going to happen is the euro is going to die while the dollar is going to rise in price. So while it, 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 you ever see the... The, uh, the, the, the picture, I don't know if anybody's seen this, but it's a, it's a photo of a Burmese python trying to swallow an alligator in the Florida glades. And what happened is that its stomach burst. Yeah. Okay? Its stomach burst and the damn snake died. So here they find a snake with a, with a partially swallowed alligator and the stomach is exploded. I liked what you, how you called it a macrophage. You said yeah. macrophage, which you know might be uh, might Mac- be yeah, macrophage, right? So um, that's, you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, the, just the what the, basically macrophage is is that is something uh, that's like a defensive. Um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's a defensive. Uh, oh, cell. A, like, what do you yeah, call it? something in your body. Like a white cell. It's like a white blood cell. Right. So it'll it acts like an amoeba and swallows up something toxic. But I imagine yep. if something is too toxic, then that macrophage is going to take the hit. Is that what you're kind of exactly, right. exactly? Because the eurozone itself is a, is a, is a toxic asset, right? When you look at the euro itself, it's a toxic asset. The euro itself, the entire eurozone is sitting on cocoa bonds. The entire eurozone is sitting on on on, on countries whose certain amount of a certain percentage of their of their uh, sovereign bonds are trading negative. So you imagine what's going to happen when the U.S. dollar in this process is going to be sucking in much of the euros. There's going to be something happening. Watch the euro market, especially as we're approaching towards the end of the year. You're going to see a battering that's going to be taking place over there. The dollar is going to strengthen, folks, but it's the, it's the macrophage effect. It's monetary microphage, which leads to monetary hypoxia. What do I mean by that? The swallowing of the eurozone in order to create a, a fictitious volumetric liquidity or an illusion of liquidity that gives people a, 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 a hey look, look our markets are liquid oh look we're solvent again but we're solvent on poison we're solvent on toxin and then what happens is that the dollar rises it rises and rises and rises and it's going to again die a death of 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 insolvency. It's monetary hypoxia. The higher the dollar goes, the more it dies. It's gonna you, you nothing at this point right now, man, makes any sort of sense. It's all crazy. It's crazy, and I've never seen anything like this. The way this is going to play out is going to be sick. It's going to be sinister. Look for a seventy-five point hike, twenty-five basis points at a time. But I tell you, we go to one percent, you know things are getting critical. If we go to three percent. I guarantee if they go to 1%, they have to eat the euro. They have to eat the euro. It's the only way to mitigate it. 
And if we go to 3%, that means they're going to nuke the eurozone while the dollar interest, the interest rates go to 3% here, but it's not going to do much to the, uh, to, to the, to the to hyperinflation. It'll quell it a little bit in the monetary sense, but, but the physical products are still going to be expensive, kind of like paying premiums on, on precious metals, right? But watch this now. They did not account for the damage that's going to be done in the derivative market, number one. And number two, most importantly, they don't know what the damage will be until they do it. That's terrifying. Cowboy, you there? Cowboy, did I lose you? Yeah, I don't know. I was having issues there. I mean, I heard what you said, but uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Are you there? I'm I, here. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I fried up that that potato. So internet's. Uh, I need to switch over. I think. I think so, man. What's your uh, yeah, what's your, uh, uh, your, your, your what's your bit rate, man? What's your downstream bit rate? You know. You know, I'd have to. Uh, I can look that up right now. There's a way to do it. But yeah, uh, like you know, I moved test. out to the country, right, to, to get away from. Uh, a lot of stuff. Unfortunately, I got away from. It. Hasn't quite been its way out here yet. I wonder if uh, Elon's here. You know, I I I've been hearing good things about it. You might want to check it out. You might want to check out Starlink. I think it's like almost a gig down and a gig up. There is like okay, might, I'm, I'm might... on Oopla now. I'm gonna figure it out. I know with uh, there's a local provider who actually like uses a satellite and it's like a direct microwave beam. I might go with this guy, uh, but I'm going to do Google now. Let's see what my bit rate is. Yeah. So connecting, but yeah, as far as, um, as far as that goes, I don't know. I know Jim Willie has some ideas, but I do think his like, you know, dual dollar system and the shice dollar. I think that actually seems pretty realistic. What do you think of that? All right. Yeah, man, I, I've been calling for, a two dollar system, a two currency system for a long time. I mean, Cuba's been having it forever. We're going to have the same thing, except the domestic dollar is going to be our digital central bank issued currency, right? It's going to be the digital central bank issued currency. It's going to be the digital dollar, and then what's going to terms of the uh, of a trade dollar for international trade is only God's only guess. We, we we don't know what that's going to look like, but you know, shit for sure. Whatever we use it, it domestically in order to buy and procure goods is going to be devalued to at least, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent of where the dollar is right now. You know, maybe even 60 percent devaluation is what we're looking at from from where King Dollar is today. 66 percent devaluation. Yeah, 60 percent at least. Of 60. So that means that if you let me see 60 percent devaluation. So that means that right now, if it's uh, let's just use gas, right? What's gas? Yeah. Maybe five dollars a gallon. Sixty uh, percent devaluation of the dollar means you pay. Is it sixty percent more or forty percent more? I think it's sixty. You're going to up to eighty nine dollars. Yeah, easily. Let's, like prices are basically going to double. It's kind of what oh, it easily, to. easily. Yeah, not quite double, but my uh, my download speed, dude. I'm at fifteen. Uh, Mbps and upload is at like five Mbps, dude. It's, it's pitiful these last couple of days, man. I don't know. What's oh, dude, yeah, that's 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 really bad. Yeah, I'm usually better than that, but uh, I'm gonna look at this other guy's uh, solution. Anyway, so but yeah, I I think it's safe to say that they do not plan to 
uh, go beyond a percent. I mean, I, you know, you and I've been talking about this for like weeks. Chances are that they're going to do some hiking because they said they would. <laughs> and then like, but they're not going to admit policy error. Something's going to break and then they're going to have to reverse course. I mean, I think it's that simple. Yeah. It's just like everything else in the United States. Take the hill. Okay, we took the hill. Now what? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is sticking to the wall? Is it sticking? Is it sticking? <laughs> you know, uh, sorry, the spaghetti's uh, falling off. Quick, throw the linguine. <laughs> but oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did uh, you? Uh, do you have those memes that I that I threw at you this morning? Oh, Shiznick. Um, I think I sent it yeah, to you I, your I, phone. Yeah, you did. You sent it to my phone. I don't think I have a way of uh, of showing. Well, this. I'll make it short. It's like long story short. It, you remember how people call each other? You know, they're calling people boomers. Yeah, okay, boomer. Okay, you groomer. 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 Well, now now it's groomer. Yeah, groomer. So it's <laughs> it's starting to get out there about oh, yeah. this business. And look, dude, there's one line that most people will not allow to be crossed, and it's messing with the kids. So, look, the left, us will commonly say the left has it when it comes to the narrative, right? They're so good at slogans and all that stuff. So, you know, the, the, I don't want to say the right, but whatever. The freedom-minded people need to pick up on that and start, you know, I know Trump did it with the fake news thing. He killed it. And Trump is really good at this. I think we need to start really, really pushing groomer and just, yep. like, let the meme war freaking begin, dude. Yep. Exactly. Exactly right. That's, that's the meme more begin. The memes are good, but the message is that we really, yeah, start just, you know, anytime I mean, these people come and say it, it's like, okay, groomer. That uh, that text from Jesse Kelly that you sent me, he, 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 he hits the nail on the head. He said, I don't remember another time in my life when I've seen the American communists whine so much about a label put on them by the right. The groomer thing really bothers them a lot. It hurts them. So keep it, keep doing it. That's what we need to do yeah. because that that really takes the mask off and shows them, you know, exposes the charade for what it is. It's always about getting your kids. These are sick bastards, man. Was it Leonard or Trotsky that said, "Give me your children and I will give you an army in twenty years or something like that"? Yeah, give me your children. But 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 when when Trotsky said that, it it was uh, he actually had an idea of having masculine, you know, tough people. Now we have an army of pasty, pudgy, nobodies, man. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, well, you know what, dude? Uh, I, I'm not that big a fan of Arnold as a politician or anything. Yeah, you're not, the, you're not the fan of me? No, I've, I've been towing the goddamn line because I want to be freaking president, okay? But you cannot yeah, do so that. You, you're not born here. That's a big problem. If you're not born here, you cannot run for president. Is that, that's why I was a governor. Come on. That's the goddamn constitution. they got to change it now. Do it now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's Arnold, man. But he did, he got it right when I know in California, uh, I don't know, this is two decades ago when he was the governor, he was pushing like proper diet, exercise, the fitness goals. That was, that was before I, I, I learned about the Green Revolution, Nick. And I started eating a lot of vegan products. And now you see that my, my muscles, the, my, my muscles are all gone there. I've uh, my 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 age is, is accelerating. I'm losing hair. I'm uh, really really not looking like myself. I'm not looking like the Terminator. I'm not looking like a six-time Mr. Olympia anymore. That's because of vegan diet. Remember, 
I made the documentary movie, the uh, uh, plant-based green weenies. You know, that's what yeah, I the, the all girly movies. men. It's Screw your freedoms, Screw your freedoms. I wish I would have never learned about this because now I'm losing all my muscles. <laughs> yeah. Arnold, Green. Yeah, Arnold's gone. Green supply chain rules set to unspool and rattle the global economy. Oh, yeah. Making a box of cocoa puffs is a complicated global affair. It could start with cocoa farms in Africa, cornfields in the U.S., sugar plantations in Latin America, then tens of thousands of processors, transporters, packagers, distributors, office workers, retailers join in the supply chain before a kid in Minnesota, where General Mills is based, pours the cereal into the bowl. You know, nobody really thinks about that, bro. Nope. Like, that's a good example for making Americans think about the supply chain. Cocoa Puffs. I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Oh, I freaking love Cocoa Puffs back in the day before I back knew in the day. life of Satan. <laughs> you know, you know what it was? You know what was my favorite cereal growing up? Until this day, if, if, it was, if it was in front of me, I'd eat it. Let me guess. Cin- Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Bam! Yep, that's the one, dude. That's the one. And the milk afterwards is so good. Oh, so good. Cinnamon so Toast good. Crunch and Honey Grams was kind of like yes. this uh, red-headed step show. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Oh, yeah. That's good stuff. And then, you know, there, when I was really little, it was all about the Lucky Charms. And I would eat all the non-marshmallow stuff. And then the marshmallow stuff would soak all that stuff into the milk. And i just eat the marshmallows at the end. But you got to go fast. You, go. you don't want the marshmallows to become, like, too soggy. You want them to have a little bit of consistency to them. Or they're kind of, like, yeah. you know, slippery on the outside, but still got that marshmallow feel. Exactly. I'm a fucking cereal badass. Cap- don't mess with me. Oh, yeah. Now, imagine the challenge of General Mills' faces in counting the greenhouse gas emissions next to ESG, right? Greenhouse gas emissions from all these people, machines. If you, the only greenhouse gas that's emitting is it's, it's what, it's, it's what's coming out of Washington, D.C. <laughs> machines, yeah. vehicles, buildings, and other products involved in the Cocoa Puff supply chain. Then multiply that by 100-plus brands belonging to the food giant. Thousands of public companies may soon have such a daunting task to comply to a new set of climate rules proposed by none other than the geniuses over at the SEC. Hailed by prominent environmental groups as a long-sought victory, the sweeping plan released in late March would force companies to grapple with the unpredictable impact of climate change by disclosing reams of new, new information to investors. What are your company's climate risks? Such as severe weather and people, a possible financial impact. How have the threats affected your business strategies? And what's the plan to avoid those dangers? Most consequential and controversial piece of the SEC's proposed regulations would require corporations to calculate their total greenhouse gas footprint, including from the supply. Look at this, bro, what this is, and this is what the American public needs to understand. When the SEC is working lockstep with BlackRock and ESG, the, those uh, ethical uh, uh, requirements for good, uh, uh, you know, uh, citizenship and good... Uh, environmental in, system governance. Environment yeah, system environment, governance. yeah, all that shit coming from the, uh, uh, the WEF, the, the World Economic uh, Fraudsters, right? When they start, when you start asking companies to start calculating they, they, total greenhouse footprint... What you're doing is you're creating a metric, a measurable metric, and an algorithm for taxation. 
That's all this is. In other words, they're giving these companies, hey, we want you to put together and string together the rope through which you're going to hang yourself. This is the insanity of it, man. Regulations also carry the, po- the political weight for Democrats in the run-up in the, mi- in the midterms. The Biden, Joe Brandon, O'Biden, Obama administration and centrist Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia are trying once again to breathe life into clean energy legislation that died earlier this year amid a feud between them. In this latest effort, as, comp- as compromise fails, with Manchin reportedly looking for federal support for fossil fuels as well as renewable energy, which is a, a reasonable thing, then much of President Biden's ambitious climate agenda will be left riding on the SEC proposal. SEC head Gary Gensler says shareholders are demanding climate risk disclosures to make smarter investment. Uh, Nick just texted me. His uh, internet just went down. No problem, bro. Try to jump back on. Try to jump uh, back on. Cool. Anyway, SEC Gary Gensler says shareholders are demanding risk disclosures to make smarter investment decisions and hold companies accountable for greenwashing their operations. The regulations will also provide investors with the environmental social governance movement more leverage in their ongoing campaigns to pressure companies to reduce carbon footprints. While many companies like Walmart and business groups like Chamber of Commerce support the idea of required climate disclosures. And folks, climate disclosures only affect industrial companies. Companies that actually manufacture and put out things. What, the, what does this mean? Increased energy costs for you. Increased food costs for you. And the average American does not have any clue as to what the hell ESG is. We need to put ESG on the forefront. We need to put BlackRock on the forefront. We need to make that part of the American lexicon that people will understand it and they fight and and resist against it. This is wholesale slaughter. Wholesale slaughter of the American economy. This is wholesale. This is neo-feudalism come to life. That's what this is. The SEC's heavy-handedness and standardizing rules across the economy, it, it needs to stop. The chamber is calling for flexibility so companies can customize their climate disclosures based relevant to their businesses and investors, counting supply chain emissions. It's all bullshit. This is what we're doing. See, when you don't make anything, right, and the only thing you're making is cocoa or cuckoo puffs and anything and everything that, 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 that is designed to addict people, that is designed to, um, you know, wreck people's lives, you know, and you don't have any industry, this is what happens. You know, the, 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 this is going to wreak havoc also on the automotive industry, right? It's all part of cap and trade. It's all part of uh, out of carbon trading, and which is leading to further derivative trading. These people are just beyond. They're just beyond, right? It's, you know, General Mills and other companies use life cycle assessment, computer models, tally emissions, but these models like those using everything from economics to climate science are only as accurate as the consultants who design them and the data that's fed into them. In other words, it's all bullshit, just like the climate change nonsense. Data is the biggest problem. General Mills hired the consulting firm Qantas 
to calculate its supply chain emissions. Qantas uses national averages for particular businesses like cocoa, like cocoa farms in Ghana that may be several steps removed from actual farms that supply General Mills, creating uncertainty. And this is the problem when you start putting together imaginary metrics and you use imaginary metrics coupled with algorithmic multipliers and then you have skewed data, biased, skewed, political, politically correct data that plays into the hands of those who are part of this whole entire climate nonsense. This is where we are. General Mills has 150,000 acres enrolled in its regenerative management programs, aims for 1 million acres by 2030. We consider... You know, I, I just can't take it. When are we going to arrest these bastards? Right? Advocates for the SEC proposal say today's reporting flaws will be improved as more companies develop Scope 3. They have all this data. Folks, this is, this is going to be very difficult to enforce. And all it's going to do is create more supply chain problems. All this is doing, Anything that these morons could do to exacerbate the supply chain problems and shortages to exacerbate the the the, the and, and to you know exacerbate the cost, exacerbate the prices of of food and energy. What people uh, you know rely on, they're doing everything to do that. And, and Cowboys back. Yo, sorry about that. My actual whole internet went down. Jesus, man. Yeah, but yeah, I, was you, I was following. You, and you need the disco potato, bro. Uh, you know what? I, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I got a plan. Uh, we got a guy that, that has a local service. I'm just going to go local. Um, yeah. But there, you're talking about supply chain exacerbation, right? Yep. These people, they're literally trying to kill industry. One yeah. of the things that, dude, I don't know if you remember Mike Rivero. He probably yes. still does a lot of podcasts. Um, one thing he's really good at is he has it nailed as far as this climate situation, right? Yep. If it was really true that carbon was going to kill the planet, then I would really be concerned about it. What he says is that every single model that has to do with the climate change has one flaw. And that flaw is, is basically that CO2 is the problem. And what he says is that from core samples that this data is available, maybe I'll find it and send it to you for a different show. But is that, okay, so carbon and planet temperature do have a correlation, but it's not the correlation that we are taught by Al Gore. Mm. And the reality is, is that CO2 rises after the temperature rises, not before. Oh, right. Wow. So it's available in the in the core samples from like polarized caps, whatever it is. I'll see if I can find the data and get it to us, maybe even during the show. But th this is the one thing, and people just don't know to look for this, and they just believe what they're told. Nobody asks any questions. You get canceled if you talk about it. But the reality, according to this data, if this data is real, and I'll find it, is that, okay, think about it. When the temperature goes up throughout his history of civilization, we get expansion in civilization. We get the end of the Dark Ages, the Renaissance. That's a recent example, right? And then when things get cold, you have a dark age. You have civilization contracting. You have uh, the dark ages, basically. That was like a mini cold time. Yep. So what happens is that farming does better. And when farming does better, you have more food. And when you have more food, you just have more civilization. I think it's probably pretty that simple. Pretty simple. Yeah. So long story short, 
the understanding of CO2 and temperature is completely reversed and no one listens. And that's, that's what I have to say about that. Cor there is correlation, but it's not the causation. It's, yeah, quite the reverse. And just like, just like Johnny Cochran said, brother, if the glove don't fit, you must have quit. Oh, snap. <laughs> snap. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, man, uh, you want to touch base on anything else? You, 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 I don't know. Wait, you gotta, you, you, blah, 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 blah. I'm, I'm like going ahead of my stuff here. You want to talk about the, the chart like next week or something, or you want to do it now? Uh, as far as the, uh, the elasticity demand, mm -hmm. that I'm going to have to dig on that one. That, I got some guys I want to talk to over at um, – I have an intermediary between me and like JPM and Wells Fargo, some of the bigger banks, things like that. So this, I mean, one of the things that you did mention earlier that I do want to ask you about though, you did mention the interest rate swaps and you said they were fictional. Can you explain that to me? Say again? You, you talked about the interest rate swaps and I thought you said they were fictional. Like they don't really exist. Is that, did I hear you right? No, no, they exist. What I'm saying is that the, the, that the actual assets are not, they're not based on anything real. You see what I'm saying? They're based on on bogus um, loans. They're based on bogus metrics. They're based on bogus assets that don't exist. It's not backed by anything real, is uh, is what I said. Okay, so okay, so you say, you're no, saying it, that the, IR swaps are real though. Okay, okay, so basically on yeah. the other end, the counterparty risk is like infinite. <laughs> it's infinite. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a it, dude. It's like it, it's a it's a nuclear missile. It's a hypersonic nuclear missile. And these guys are lighting the fuse with it. And they're well, like, you know. It's a giant landmine on which we all walk. And yes. the farther down the road we get, the heavier we are. And because we're, we're too light to trigger the landmine. We're too light for it right now. But yeah. if the more we go down this road, the heavier we get. And it's just going to go off. Unbelievable, man. It's crazy shit, bro. For real. It's, it's, uh, I got a guy that actually takes a look, and I think he's looking at the spreads between IR swaps and, uh, you know, bonds. I have to get that data. He did say that, as, you know, as far as what we're going to see in the next several months is there's no apparent danger uh, to, you know, like we're not going to necessarily see like a March 2020 type fall. It looks like they're going to get what they want, which is a controlled fall. Uh, v, didn't you tell me, V, um, that like at the end of the year last year, a lot of the larger people sort of got out of the market and wound down their positions? Is that did I do I remember that properly? Uh, at that time, yes, and I think you know, a lot of them are, are dabbling back in, but they are, um, you know, uh, iffy with this. Yeah, hey, I, I want to show you guys something. Go ahead. Keep talking, bro. I'm going to pull something Well, up. and if that's the case, if they really wound down to cash, then that should tell you everything. That, you yeah. know, because what they do is the more you can get Joe Blow to buy into the stock market, the more their bags are going to inflate. But there's a certain point when it reaches a fever pitch where they need to exit. And if you see the market being exuberant, irrationally exuberant, where it's just, I mean, things are going up hard, hard, hard. And it's like people just are never going to take their money out. Then that means that the big money is probably exiting. <laughs> like, and I'd say the most recent peak of the stock market was a small version of that. But I bet you these guys wound down their positions to a certain amount of cash. And then they'll go ahead and re-enter whenever the Fed put uh, clicks in, you know?
Yeah. Speaking of supply chains, watch this, folks. This is a DHL cargo plane that broke in half. And what it's not the crash. I'm going to play the video. You guys watch this crash. Here we go. He's running out of runway. He's hitting the brakes. You can see the rear tires just light up. And he's, he's doing a fishtail right there. Comes to a stop. Landing gear failures. And then boom. Oh. The, the damn plane snapped in half. Now, here's what's re- remarkable. 757-200, right? 757-200s have been in service since the 80s, right? Uh, this is actually one of the types of planes that hit the trade t- uh, center, okay? Now, uh, 9-11. But here's what I want to show you guys. When you have supply chain issues and problems, right, uh, you're going to run out of what are the one of the things that's happening right now is like parts for aircraft are if they're not available due to supply chain stuff, right, due, due to supply chain constraints, if they're not available due to co- supply chain constraints, they are going to continue to service the airframe and the parts. Now, on, on, a, on an aircraft like this, every single part that's on an airplane is blueprinted to last X amount of hours in flight time, X amount of hours. Once it passes X amount of service hours, that part needs to be completely replaced. What is happening right now in the airline industry, those parts are, A, either being prolonged, right, or they are, the planes are flown out of the country, like in the U.S. or in the EU. They're being serviced in third world countries with dubious parts. Okay, this what happened should not have happened. We're seeing China Eastern Airlines, a, a, a Boeing 737 product, right? Fall out of the sky, literally fall out of the sky. Nose dive into the ground, killing everybody on board. That's right. There's a lot of issues happening in the airline industry with aircraft. And it's keep and it's kept very hush, hush, mush, mush. Unbelievable, and well, this, they, yeah, that is the reason why American Airlines is uh, adding Air, Airbus to its fleet. There's a lot of issues here, folks, and it only gets worse. And thanks to ESG and carbon credits and all the other bullshit, we can't get it. Now, here's the funny thing, right? When you look at an airplane, an airplane uses what kind of metals? It uses aluminum, fiber, as a you know, it uses. Uh, uh, titanium, molybdenum, right? It uses magnesium. These are all the metals that are used in airplane and airframe and, and wing engineering and building. All of which we don't get here. And Russia happens to be the main supplier of all that stuff we need to build aircraft. It's unbelievable, man. Yeah, there's that. Um, I know that it's like one of our largest industries. So the more they can keep it alive, that's it's on life support, like pretty much all of our economy. So they have to keep it going, which is why it's probably uh, pretty hush hush when these things go bad, right? Yeah, very bad. Because the, I mean, think about it. Can can the airline industry take a hit by saying, "Hey, look, there's a certain percentage of our aircraft that are dangerous." 
This is the airline industry that has, you know, suffered through the pandemic. And they're, they're trying to get back. The last thing they need is bad press. I'm telling you right now, it's very worrisome. Anyway, yeah. that's all well, I got to say, buddy. Um, you know, I haven't flown since, uh, well, I don't think I've flown since the pandemic. I think about that. It's a lot easier to fly to where I live and go see my family. That's for sure. But uh, we yeah. tend to drive anyway, so, you know, I don't know what to yeah. say. I, I don't like uh, being felt up by, you know, a blue-haired, uh, I can't tell what it is in the airport. <laughs> <you're coming. laughs> don't you dare assume their gender. That's what I mean. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. You can't assume anymore. You don't no. know what they are. Exactly. Oh, all right, brother. All right, man. Thank you all for listening in. Enjoy your weekends. We got Harley Schlanger up next, so keep it locked and loaded right here. And with that being said, we're over and out. Later, See later, crypto. Cheers. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure, man. Thank you.